Oh, new series. Spiritual disciplines. SPDs, we've got it on your connection card. Tammy typed that and she goes, Pastor. <laughs> I said, it doesn't say STDs, SPDs, spiritual disciplines. She couldn't get all of it on there, so we had to shorten it up. You ever been on a diet? And when you're on it, yeah, not for long. I've been on a seafood diet, eat all the food I see. But anyway, somebody said, join Weight Watchers. I look down and watch all the weight I need. I got all those stories. Here we go. But isn't it, a, isn't it funny about when you're on a diet, the food that you don't really like to eat, you know why you don't like to eat it. And the food that you can't eat all of a sudden takes on such an aroma, such a flavor, that you just got to have some of that. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Happens all the time, though. And I want to equate that to the battle that you and I fought, fight, uh, fight and face in the spiritual realm as well. Things that are bad for us spiritually, there's also things that are bad for our soul. Just like a Big Mac is not shouldn't be the sandwich of choice, there are certain things around us and television online and on the radio, around the water cooler at work, in the break room at work that really aren't good for us spiritually, but we are bombarded by them anyway. Just as sure as a Krispy Kreme donut appeals to you when you're on a diet, there are other things that appeal to your fleshly appetites as well. And yet, they're not good for us. But in order for us to avoid these things that are toxic to our spiritual health, and take in those things which we know will help us be stronger and healthier as Christians, we have to be intentional. That's what I've discovered about a diet. The worst part about a diet is that I quit being intentional after about three days. But if we can be intentional, good things will come. And so we want to talk about what we intake and what we intake spiritually. And today, the first discipline I want to focus on is the Bible, the Word of God. How many of you would say in the last week you read the Bible every day? Let me see your hands. Okay? Now, out of this crowd, I only saw about six hands. How many of you say you read the Bible three days last week? How many of you read the Bible one day last week? <laughs> and the hands got fewer and fewer by the days. And yet, and yet, when we are called upon to stand for God, what is the one book that we should have consumed enough that we could take a stand? Give me the answer. The Bible. Absolutely. So we have to intake the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God has been the most powerful tool that any of God's servants would ever use. In the beginning, God spoke the word, and the word world was created just by a spoken word. God's word is so powerful, something can be made out of nothing. In the Garden of Eden, it was a violation of God's word which led to man's fall. When Israel made its covenant with God, God told them to be diligent to do all that He had told them and to teach His laws to their, to their children. 
bind them on their foreheads and their wrists and put them over the doorpost and on the fence post. So they were always reminded of them. That's why we're having so many problems in our culture is we've removed any remembrance of God. Take him out of the classroom, take him off the buildings. They want him removed completely. Don't You can't pray to Jesus anymore, so I guess you pray to a rock and it must be okay. So if you get him out of the way, we don't have to deal with God, we don't have to deal with sin, we don't have to deal with eternity. It was old and it's archaic and this God thing is crazy anyway. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, rebuked the devil. And he said, the man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we try to do it on our own strength, we fail. Can you say amen? But when we do it with God and God's word, good things can happen. So I want you to join me this morning as we look at Psalm 19. Now, if you have your Bibles, open there, please. We're going to look at some specific verses in a little bit from your outline and, and on the overhead. But I want you just to read in your word. Follow along with me in Psalm 19. I'm going to be in the uh, New Living Translation. It may be a little different than yours, but I'll bet you get the same process. We'll be, begin at verse 1. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens and the sun. Uh, I've lost my place. <laughs> right there. And, their and, and their words to all the world. God's made a home in the heavens for the sun. Thank you. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instruction, boy, we understand that nowadays. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, and each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Wow, what a great psalm. Amen? He starts in verse 1. The heavens declare. They tell us about God and the glory of God and shows His handiwork. Those first six verses speak to us about God's nature. God is always about the business of revealing Himself to man and God considers, considers you and me, mankind, His crowning creation. Did you know that? More so than anything else. Now, you'd never know it by some of the environmentalists who think a tree is more important than you. You're supposed to laugh at that. 
Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. From general revelation in the first six verses, the writer of this psalm moves to revelation in the last half of this psalm. Along with Psalm 119, there's, this is one of the most important descriptive pieces of wisdom literature with respect to the Word of God. So we're going to deal this morning with the intake of Scripture and deal with it as a spiritual discipline. We're going to begin by looking at what the Bible tells us about itself and the role it plays in the life of every believer. And we're going to close with giving you some insight and some practical insights on how you can make that really help you. But first of all, I want us to look in verses 7 through 9 and see the description, the words that describe the word. They're awesome. He starts out by saying, The law of the Lord, in verse 7, is perfect, restoring the soul. So the first blank on your outline is, it is perfect. It's perfect. It means without blemish. Lacking nothing. It's the way, ladies, you thought your husband was the day you married him. That he was perfect and without blemish. Oh, some of you laughed. Even out loud. Then you discovered the real man, didn't you? As he did the next day. That beautiful bride. Within God's word, we find everything we need to know about who God is and who we are. It tells about the devastating effects of our sin that caused the perfect sacrifice of our Savior. Tells us all we need to know about eternity, about how we can come into fellowship with God. It is complete. We don't need another testimony as the Mormons tell us we do. We have the complete and full testimony in the Word of God. You don't need another book. You follow the Word. We don't need watered down witnessing like many of the liberals are setting forth because God's Word is perfect. It restores the soul. If you don't believe it, just ask. He'll put the hammer on you. God's Word will drop a hammer on you. Amen? Because that's what He's supposed to do. That's what the Word is supposed to do. In fact, in this verse, it talks about the word restore. In the Hebrew, it can also mean revive. But it can mean return also uh, as you do in repenting. One of the more common uses of the verb restore is to describe human repentance and obedience to God and His Word. And that's what causes us to come back to God is when we read His Word and realize how much He loves us and how sinful we truly are. The law is perfect. The New King James says it this way. The law is perfect, converting the soul. So you see that word has potential power in it. So God's word is perfect. It affects our soul and any soul who reads it and applies it. It restores, returns us to God. It's God's means by which he draws us back into that relationship. Right relationship with Him. So it's one of the functions of God's Word is to draw us back. The second is 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So that second line there is sure. The New International Version says the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. We can rely on it. The word simple in this verse, in the Hebrew, is more aligned with a person who's naive, not somebody who's lacking knowledge. It's not that we lack knowledge, it's that we're naive. It's because we've listened to tradition and the teaching of the church over studying and implying the Word of God to our lives. And when we learn to do that, good things can come. We're told in Proverbs and in Psalms 111 and verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. And you need to have a healthy fear. Fear that He could put you in hell. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. Don't fear him who can destroy your body. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah. You need to have a healthy fear of God. That's what's wrong with our culture today. We don't fear him. We fear the almighty government. Oh, my, 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 my. If we don't go into debt, two trillion more dollars, oh, my, the sky's going to fall. Wow, wow, wow. I, you know what? I took their advice. I went down to Chase Bank. I walked in. I said, look here. I need to do some home remodel. I just want you to raise my debt ceiling about mm, 15000 They went, okay, we'll be glad to do that. As they grabbed me by the pants and shirt and threw me out the front door. You and I can't do that. Why is it that others think they can? And that's what's wrong spiritually is that they think we, can, we think we can get away with stuff that we really can't get away with. God expects us as believers to walk a walk, to talk a talk. Not just to show up and go, Graham. He expects you to make better decisions and better choices. And you will if you're in taking the Word of God in the right way. God's Word makes us wise. Gives us the decision-making power to not stumble around foolishly in our own thoughts and desires. Next he says, the precepts of the Lord are... There's your third blank. Right. Rejoicing the heart. A precept is a directive which, if followed, will lead one, of the, uh, one to a goal of faithful living. Parents teach children precepts to keep them from making stupid decisions. And what do they do? When you give them the precept, do exactly the opposite. Have you ever tried to tell them to do the opposite thing and see if they do the right thing? I don't know. I think it's worth a shot. Because kids usually do the opposite of what the parents tell them to do. So if you tell them, I don't clean up your room, they'll go clean up their room. Yeah, not in my house either. You tell them to clean up a room with a bat in your hand and the Word of God in this hand. And hit them with either one. It don't matter. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> God has directions and precepts, and they're always right. If we'll listen and apply, the precept works. What's the old hymn? He leadeth me, O blessed thought. O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er, whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Amen? It's got to be a good hymn if it's in King James language. I mean, it just has to be a good hymn. 
We rejoice in heart. God's word brings joy to the heart. Those precepts bring joy to our heart because we know we're in obedience to the Lord. If a young person will not be obedient to their parents, then how in the world do they want to accept Christ to be obedient to the Lord and Savior and Master? Because the parents, they have to learn it from the parents. If they'll learn to be obedient to the parents, then they can serve God without any problem. But I have kids wanting to serve God. Oh, I'll be like, I'm going to be a Christian, man. I'm going to be a Christian. Pastor, I need to be a Christian. How you doing with your mom and dad? I don't hate them. I don't like them. <laughs> well, we shouldn't baptize them. Because they're not ready to serve the Lord until they're ready to serve their parents. And all parents say, there we go. God's word may seem restrictive. You ever felt that way? Yeah, by the rules of do's and don'ts. But God never intended for his word to be harmful, but rather to be a help. The precepts of God are right, rejoicing the heart. Next, number four, the commandment of the Lord is pure. There's your blank. Enlightening the eyes. Pure. And the word pure here is often used to describe purity in the radiance of sunlight. Boy, if you just go outside, you know, if you've been in the air-conditioned building and you, then you go outside, it just takes your breath away. It's so warm. Even though there's wind blowing, it feels like you're in a furnace. There's no comfort. You get into a swimming pool and the, and the water is boiling, you know, it seems like. But there's just something about the radiance of the sunlight. I saw people doing strange things last night when that rainstorm blew through. They were standing out in it going, thank you, thank you. It was just being rained on. That was awesome. Kelsey's always challenging me. She says, Dan Paul, when it's raining, can we go out and just stick our tongue out and let it fall on it? That's what I did when I ran to my car last night. We found a place that was air conditioned because my house wasn't. They asked us to leave. We were there so long. No. Psalm 119, 105 says, The word, word, word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6, 23, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. John in John chapter 1 describes Jesus as the living word of God who is the true light who enlightens every man in the world. Woo! So the word becomes that shining light. That's what happens when you read the word and you feel conviction is because the light of the word now is convicting you and exposing you for what you really are. Okay, yeah, keep preaching. Okay, let's move on, preacher. Okay. How about the next one? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes in the next one. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's your blank, number five, clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. And that word fear here is a synonym of the Word of God or for the Word of God because we have seen already that the fear of the Lord is one of the effects of God's Word on our heart. We should fear Him. Remember when you were growing up and your mother would say, wait till your father gets home? That, that was not a good thing. It was never pleasant. And I always thought, well, this happened in the morning. This is late in the afternoon. She will have forgotten it already. And as soon as he comes in the door, they do this little huddle thing and whispering. And all of a sudden, he comes up, he lifts his head with the look of an ogre. And the look then is focused on you as the innocent child that you are. And he reaches to the midsection and undoes his belt. And I keep thinking, 
What does he need to go to the bathroom? What's he doing? Only to hear that belt rip around. Greatest sound in the world. Because pretty soon that belt is going to be applied to where God put extra padding. Because my mother never forgot and got him involved and he got upset. It got ugly. But you see, when I read the Word, Hebrews 12 says, God disciplines those He loves just as a father disciplines his child. You see, so when we read the Word and we're disciplined by the Word, that's a good thing. We can always jump over those sections of the Bible, though, when we read them, right? Oh, I, well, I don't like that part. So I'm going to skip it and go on. No, you ought to read it and let him clean you up some more. Won't hurt you at all. First Peter 1, 24 and 25 says, All flesh is like grass and all... And all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. This word will always be here. Men have tried to throw it away, stamp it out, get rid of it. And they've never been successful. And they won't be. Because God will not allow it to happen, to be, to, to happen that way. So there's a purifying effect. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And then number six, you find the judgment. The judgments of the Lord are true. And there's your number six blank, true. They are righteous altogether. God's judgments are true. And the word judgment here speaks to what God says ought to be. It's His decision, and that ought to be. Remember when you were growing up and Dad's word was the last word? There's no sense bucking it. Because once he says it, it's done. Even though the vein's popping out of his neck about four feet, and he's as red as a beet, and he can hardly breathe, trust me, at that point, you're a coward in the corner going, I don't want to die. I'm willing to live. <laughs> Whatever. Because his word is final. As it should be. And so we should with the Lord. Let his word be final. David says about the Lord that there's no other gods before Him. That there's no one else like Him. And it's true. We can try. We can try to fill it in with other books and other writings, but the Word is the Word. And not only does this psalm give us a description, but it also speaks to our desire for the Word. Let's look at verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than any honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Well, now that's pretty sweet, isn't it? That's sweet honey. That's good honey. That's great honey. David says that God's Word is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It all has to do with the person who reads it and the person who wrote it. There are times when I read God's Word and, man, I just fill with joy. Because I see the love that He has for me and the forgiveness that He's extended to me on a continual basis. And He loves me unconditionally no matter what I've done or what I've said or how goofy I've, decisions I've made. He still loves me. That's good for you too. The Bible's God's Word. Full of love. Full of honey. Oh, I like that. And then verses 11 through 13, we see the discernment of God's Word. It warns us. warns us against sins which we commit inadvertently and the sins which we commit willfully and rewards us when we read it by helping us avoid 
falling into sins. Verse 12 speaks of hidden faults. Those which we had a hard time discerning, all of us, because of spiritual insensitivity, suffer from time to time from this. We say things, approach things with the wrong attitude. We don't get up and intentionally set out to do wrong, but we do because we're spiritually insensitive. We forget. We think we can use sarcasm or a joke to get a point made and the person doesn't receive it that way. Yeah. We need to train ourselves better spiritually. Verse 13 speaks that God's Word reveals to us, keeps us back from presumptuous sins. Sins which we willfully commit but presume that we can get away with. Two areas, hidden faults, those sins which we're are unaware, and the presumptuous sins are the two areas which set us back in our spiritual journey. Only by regularly and intentionally reading God's Word can we hope to gain the victory in these areas in our life. One of the things that we often forget is that God gave us His Word not primarily to fill our hearts, uh, excuse me, to fill our heads, but to fill our hearts. His Word is designed to make us holy, not merely smart. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 promises that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, we need that desperately in our culture today to let God's Word penetrate, let God's Word reveal. The last part of verse 13 through verse 14 speaks to the devotion of God's child. We find the attitude that we should possess. And as we read God's word, that attitude gets better. As we allow it to speak to our hearts, to direct us, to discern and show us our sins, our heart's desire keeps us from sin and we become more pleasing in the sight of God. In verse 14, we see the devotion of, of a child of God. David's desire is to be blameless, to stand before God in purity. And the goal is not sinless perfection, but to avoid doing what is displeasing to God. We're full of sin. We've got flesh running through us. Can you say amen? So we need to do what we do and live like we live to be pleasing to God. Psalm 103 tells us that God knows our frame. He knows that we are, that we are but dust and He has compassion on us pities us as a father, pities his children. You watch your children make stupid decisions and you already know what their outcome is going to be. And you would love for them to avoid it, but sometimes they need to make them so they'll learn. Don't always bail them out, parents. And this is at the heart of how David wraps up this psalm. He says, I don't want sin to rule over me. I want to avoid the great transgression which will cause my life to be ruined. I want my very words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my Redeemer. How's that possible? In Psalm 119, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandment. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hide God's Word in your heart. You're able to quote it. You're able to memorize it. You're able to repeat it. And you will be able to beat sin. Promise of God right here. Let me give you a real 
in closing, quick five simple ways to apply all of this. First of all, for Bible intake, number one, read it. Get a plan. We have a devotional we put out that's a three-month devotional that will get you in the Word every day. Get it through the Bible in a year plan. I have several of those if you want one. We always put them out first of the year, but if you want one uh, in mid-year, we'll get it for you. Uh, get on a schedule. Do it regularly. Get up early. Do it at noontime, during your break time, during your lunch time, whatever it is. Spend, get, it, get a regular schedule. And then get a version that you understand. I have so many people who grew up with the King James, but they still don't understand it. They didn't then. They don't now. So there's so many out there. Get a good version of the Bible that you can understand. And as you read it, it begins to penetrate your heart. The second thing, not only read it, reflect upon it. Meditation. Meditation is a powerful, powerful tool. Ask yourself what God's saying to you through His Word and what He wants you to do in response to what you've just read. Number three, remember it. Memorize it. Memorize it. Memorize it. He said, Preacher, I can't memorize it. I can't remember my name. I understand that, but just keep reading it. Keep reading it. You'll find those nuggets and you'll memorize them. They'll stay with you and that's what's important. Number four, recount it. Share it with somebody. Don't keep it. Share it. When you read a passage, especially with your wife or husband, call them or text them or at night when you're laying down to go to sleep, say, hey, you know, I read today in the Bible this. And you start to share with each other. Man, that's awesome. That'd be awesome. And then number five, respond to it. Respond to it. So read it, reflect upon it, remember it, recount it. And then number five, respond to it. Because we shouldn't be just hearers of the word only. We should be doers of the word as well. Father, we ask you this morning as we come to our time of invitation that you penetrate our hearts. Father, that we allow you to penetrate our hearts. God, I'm asking you to touch the lives that are here at the church. The lives here this morning that God need to hear from you. And Father, would they begin to develop a spiritual discipline of taking in the Bible. That it becomes a daily time for them, a daily habit for them that they're reading. And Father, one of the best and easiest ways is to take the book of Proverbs. It's a great book of wisdom and, and literature and teaches us so much about humans and how we get along with each other. And Father, there's 31 Proverbs and there's never more than 31 days in a month. And Father, they can take that proverb, book of proverb, and read the chapter corresponding to the calendar day and you'll, you'll talk to them. You'll speak to them. You do all the time. So God, whatever we need to do, we need to start taking in your Bible every day. We need to memorize it. We need to tell others about it. And Father, we need to apply it. Make it stick. There might be somebody here this morning, Father, that needs a special touch from your spirit. They're not saved and they want to know what it means to be saved. Would you move in them to uh, talk with us so that we can sit down and study Scripture together? Because any decision that's made on a spiritual level needs to be done with proper knowledge and proper understanding along with the emotion that causes us to make it. And Father, if we run on feelings, we get in trouble. When we run on facts from your word, we win.
There may be somebody